0: On stipulations. Stipulations. Magic tricks <laughs> oh. This evening, we are going to be talking about Section 230, which is a law that currently prevents any social media sites from being held legally responsible for any concerning content that anyone else posts on those websites, and there is currently a case in front of the US Supreme Court that might change that status. So at the end of last month, the US Supreme Court heard arguments to change the existing and pretty outdated interpretation of a federal law that immunizes websites from any liability for dangerous content that users post on a host site. This law is known as Section 230 and it has faced increasing criticism with the increase in dangerous content on social media, everything from revenge porn and cyberbullying to election denial and COVID misinformation. Regardless of what content is on a website, thanks to Section 230, sites like Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and so on can't even be sued for what they boost and disseminate to their many users. We covered arguments in the Section 230 SCOTUS case on last week's live stream with The Last Podcast Network's Someplace Underneath, or Spun. Spun's Natalie Jean and Amber Nelson cover missing, either literally or just societally overlooked, uh, women and girls on their podcast, Spun. We thus confront Section 230 on our streams when exploitative content featuring minors is posted online and isn't removed by host sites is suggested by the site's algorithms, and even in some cases generates revenue for an abuser using the host site. Right about now, I should offer the caveat that like many lawyers, a tech expert I am not, so bear with me as we navigate the virtual world. So, Section 230. Section 230 refers to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, It states that no provider of an interactive computer service will be treated as the publisher or speaker of a user's content. Calling a website an interactive computer service is our first clue that Section 230 was the product of another time. It's quaint! The case that first applied Section 230 to anonymous website content, 1997's Zarin vs. America Online, that is, of course, AOL, also reflected the vastly different internet world. Plaintiff Zarin attempted to sue AOL after an anonymous AOL user kept posting fake ads for merchandise that mocked the Oklahoma City bombing. It was bizarre, poor-taste stuff, like shirts that said, Murrah building daycare. Anyways, the ads had Zarin's information listed for purchase, so furious people who saw the ad kept contacting Zarin not to buy the merch, but to yell at him as the listed merch maker. It's, It's a solid way to attack someone. Anyways, so Zarin sued AOL over that, and the federal court at the time ruled that AOL couldn't be held liable, and that only the anonymous user-slash-culprit who posted those ads could be held responsible. And ever since then, ever since 1997, we've lived in this house that AOL chat rooms and Oklahoma City bombing satire built. Uh, Obviously, we could find many distinctions between the 90s, Zarin, internet landscape, and today's. Sites in general had less impact then, they had fewer users and traffic. We'll talk a little bit more about the distinctions later. Of course, online platforms can and do decide to police content themselves, but there is a big difference between a social media site choosing its own guidelines and how to enforce them and having outside oversight and legal consequences. As a side note, if any of you are wondering how legal repercussions for posting content squares with First Amendment freedom of speech, it's a good question with a long answer. The short answer is that there are forms of speech with limited, or no, in the case of child porn, protection. And these decisions were reached by weighing the expressive value of certain types of speech against the harm that those types could cause to others. That's why you can't shout fire in a crowded theater, and why newspapers can be held liable for things like libel. Holding websites responsible as quote-unquote publishers would just use a similar standard. In any case, um, the let's talk about the effects of Section 230 immunity. So as I hinted, self-policing, and as I'm sure you all know, self-policing by private platforms online doesn't really work. Think of the ADA which was my favorite proof that private industry self-policing doesn't work, per my last episode, without legal accountability creating some uniform and enforceable standards, internal content moderation is inconsistent and ineffective. It's better than nothing, sure, but in the case of social media, it doesn't do near enough to prevent publishing and circulating dangerous, violent, or exploitative material. Website self-policing doesn't really hold users adequately accountable either. Because websites now have nothing to lose legally, they have no incentive to keep track of who creates new accounts, any impersonations, or whether accounts are even tied to real, i.e. traceable, people. I've worked on a few social media cases where an alleged victim is trying to identify and then sue the person behind a username. And it's a wild goose chase to even start a lawsuit like that. I had thought that there might be some like official record or requirement to hand over identifying information either to the site or by the site to the courts, and there just isn't. So all you can do in that position is start a nice, pricey, feudal lawsuit against, I don't know, a handle like Hot Chunk 420. I've actually seen cases where the defendant is listed as somebody's bizarre at. So last week in our stream, a listener who had been consistently impersonated on Instagram similarly asked why they can't just sue the account holder, rather than, in their case, Instagram or Meta. And technically they could. But on top of the problems I just mentioned of identifying the user and throwing money into a lengthy legal process, let's look at the best-case scenario there. You win the case, and you're awarded damages. The defendant user who's on the hook to pay that could be in another country, they could be a minor, they could be completely broke, or probably somebody that you don't want to have a long-standing relationship with as you try to chase down that payment probably over years. Of course, the damages of online abuse are not just monetary, but money and the depth of pockets is another reason why social media companies, rather than random users, are better equipped lawsuit parties and better equipped to deal with the fallout of what's posted on the same websites. So this Supreme Court case. Um, the case that was heard by the Supreme Court last month, and there's been no decision yet, involves state laws about content moderation that are being challenged under Section 230. The content in question is ISIS recruiting propaganda. and. I think that using terrorist material is a good strategy. Um, the content is unquestionably bad and won't ignite any distracting moral debates in this conversation about the validity of Section 230. This goes doubly in the majority conservative court, where something like COVID misinformation online as the subject matter could be treated really differently. On the subject of SCOTUS demographics, it's just <laughs> watching this case. It is the funniest group of really solemn black cloak-wearing oldies who are tackling social media technology and the rapidly changing culture around it. I mean, this stuff and especially this field of law is uncharted territory even for the people who are relative experts. So this is—it's a mess and it's kind of a hoot. Um, Natalie mentioned in our stream that it would be great if people in this position took some responsibility to learn the material, and And fair point, but um, to try to not drive myself crazy with more things to worry about, um, it's just, it's funny. Um, So the lawyers who are arguing to get rid of Section 230 immunity point out the differences, as we were discussing before, between the mid-90s internet landscape when sites were really just trying to incentivize internet use in general and the landscape that we have today. (laughs) Today, big sites like those in question make most of their money from advertisements. And this, in turn, creates an incentive for sites to keep users on their pages longer. Enter algorithms and the up-next features that we've all seen. These site-generated suggestions and enticements to view sometimes dangerous and illegal content arguably change the nature of websites' responsibility for what content users see. Now remember that rolling back Section 230's sweeping immunity doesn't mean that websites will always actually be held liable in any lawsuits that are brought. It just opens the door to try to bring suits against websites. It lets those people even get into court. Um, It's not that radical an idea either. Like we were talking about with free speech, publishers of magazines or books or newspapers can be liable for any law-violating content that they publish, and things called common carriers like utility companies or package delivery services also have higher legal obligations to oversee the services or parcels that they're conveying between third parties. So that's another similar role that is subject to less immunity and more responsibility. There's also a possibility that the eventual SCOTUS ruling may not fully decide what to do with Section 230. Sometimes SCOTUS will bounce an issue to Congress by sending an... Obviously, unless there's a really clear ruling, it's a non-binding message in their decision on a case like this. That can happen when there's a clear separation of powers issue, like the Constitution delegates a particular lawmaking power to Congress. Or another example is the court doesn't profess to like to deal with quote unquote political questions. Um, those they like to send to a legislative body or an electorate. And <laughs> if anyone is thinking confusedly about Bush v. Gore, so are we all. Anyways, uh, this can also happen when the court kind of unofficially wants to dodge a subject um, and leave it to the legislature. So hopefully if this happens, Congress takes that hint as a good cue to act on Section 230 and start modifying that sooner rather than later, but we'll see if that happens. So there you have it. Um, I will keep you guys posted on whatever happens. I have a feeling decisions will come out more summertime. On the Spun stream that we did last week, Natalie, Amber, and I also discussed some of the other non-Section 230 efforts to protect minors on social media that are currently in the works, either proposed or, you know, less formal ideas that are circulating around, some of them in legislatures, some of them on the websites themselves. We also went over some of the more egregious examples of minor abuse on social media, and how sites and legislators could better define the type of content worth targeting so that algorithms or content reviewers could be more proactive in targeting it. The whole subject is so important and so fraught as all of us grapple with social media and we all vote and we advocate for what we want to happen online. our live stream on minors and social media and often other topics is going to return on the second Thursday of every month from now forward, and that'll be at 5.30 Pacific Time, 8.30 Eastern Time, unless you hear otherwise. So I really hope you come join on 4 13, so April 13th, and that's at twitch.tv slash Network. Also, and finally, I be remiss not to mention that um, former President Trump is facing at least one criminal indictment right now. Uh, we'll see what the grand jury in New York has to say. That is pending. Um, that's That has to do with election finance and not disclosing Elements of the payment that he made to Stormy Daniels to shut her up right before the election Um, So that's what that one's about and that seems like the one that's closest to an actual criminal indictment We're all waiting with bated breath for that one. There's also something going on in Georgia about the the voter uh, Tampering that he tried to do there. So I mean a lot of stuff is going on poor guy (laughs) It would be wild if they actually arrested him. That is totally unprecedented, but so is Trump. I don't know. Stay tuned. Um, In any case, I love you all. And as my aunt and the inimitable Warren Zevon, who is currently in the running to be put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you can vote on that, have said, enjoy every sandwich. Good night.